0: Okay, hello everyone. So we're continuing our series looking at the life of Abraham and today we come am I echoing? I'm a bit on to maybe sound authoritative. <laughs> um, today it's better. Today we're continuing our series looking at the life of Abraham and we're coming to the climax of his life. Everything in Abraham's life, it seems, has been leading to this great and great and terrible story. So, this is one of the most famous stories in the Bible. It's one of the great narratives, great ancient narratives in the Old Testament. Um, I'm still echoing, aren't I? Shall I turn one of these off? Is, is that okay? Great, thanks. Um, it's captivating as we read it, it's so absorbing, and yet at the same time, it's absolutely horrifying. When Every time I read it, when you come to that word, sacrifice, take your son, sacrifice him there, your heart jolts a bit, doesn't it? The details are sparse and yet tantalising and suggestive, and yet this narrative is also infuriating because there's so much we're not told. We're not told anything about, barely anything about Isaac at all. What was his experience of this event? he was probably 13 years old at the youngest jewish tradition has him at 35 and yet he just is there on the altar there's no mention of a struggle and if there was a struggle i know who i put my money on 13 year old boy against a 100 year old man he certainly has a story to tell but we're not told it we're just told about abraham and god This is something that happens between Abraham and God. And as such, I think we are completely out of our depths as we encounter this story. At least I am. We can't handle it. Try and imagine yourself in the shoes of Abraham as he's there above his son, raising his knife, ready to slit his throat. We just, we can't even, we can barely fare to think about it. It's too much, it's too hard. And the question arises almost immediately why does he have to do this? Why is he put in this situation? So, they're the questions that confront us. What kind of man was Abraham that he could do this? And what kind of God would ask him to do it anyway? What kind of man and what kind of God? And what I want us to see today is two things, because whilst this passage raises both those questions really loudly in our minds, it also provides some pointers to answering them. So as we ask the question, what kind of man is Abraham? I want us to see that we see a veteran of the core. A veteran of the core. And what kind of God do we see here? We see a God who will never despite how things appear, ever, ever let us down. That's what I want to see. Okay, so first of all then, Abraham, veteran of the call. What do I mean by the call? Leo Tolstoy, in his short book, Confessions, um, writes this kind of fable of his life. And in it, he depicts a man running along who has the misfortune Of falling into a deep pit with a dragon at the bottom. It really was unfortunate. And as he's falling towards the jaws of this dragon, he reaches out and grabs a branch. And he's there, hanging by this branch. And he looks up at this branch and he sees two little mice going up and starting to nibble away at it. One's black to represent night, one's white to represent day. And on the leaves of this branch, there are little drops of honey. And the man, knowing that his fate is sealed, starts licking away at the drops of honey to console himself. It's a pretty bleak depiction of life, isn't it? (laughs) And yet, it's absolutely right. This, in some ways, is our situation. Death awaits us all. There is no escape. And all we can do is try to forget about our situation and console ourselves with a little bit of honey on our branch. Unless, that is, we respond to God's call. <coughs> and the message of Abraham and the message of the whole Bible is that God calls us and in doing so saves us from perishing. That call is described in the Bible uh, in many different ways. A proclamation of good news, an invitation to a feast, a gathering in of children like a hen gathers in her chicks. But however it's described, it always involves two things. This call involves both letting go of the branch and holding on to the God who's come to rescue us. That's what's involved in the call. Letting go of the branch, no matter how sweet those drops of honey are. And at the same time, holding on to God. And you've got to do both. You can't hold on to the branch and hold on to God at the same time. If it helps, you can have just a one-armed man quite elaborate anyway, but (laughs) you've got to choose. You can hold on to the branch or you hold on to God. So this is the call. And the call is not just how we start out in following God and obeying him and trusting him. It's the whole thing. It's how we grow. Paul prays for the Christians in Ephesus. That they will grow in the hope to which they have been called. That they will know the riches in Christ and the power of God for them who are being saved. They're to grow in their calling. So living as one who has been called is one of continually letting go of all the false gods we cling to, And reaching out and holding on to the real God. The God who will save us. The God who will never let us go. Holding on all the more tightly to God. And letting go of all the other things that we cling to. And it is in precisely this. That Abraham is a veteran. He is a veteran of this call. Remember his call... Back in chapter 12, when we first meet him, God says to him, leave your country, your people, your father's household, and go to the land I will show you. He was being called to let go of all the branches in his life that he was holding to for security, the safety of civilization, his prospects as a son of a rich father, the place where everyone knows his name. He was called to let go of those things and hold on to God who promised to bless him. That was what Abraham was doing. That was the call, to let go and to hold on. And that's how it started, and that's how it continues. It's a continual letting go as he journeyed on to the land where God was showing him to the place he was taking him. And there were failures, of course, there were times which he continued clasping on to things and not holding on to God but that's what God was teaching him to do letting go and holding on now this is true at midnight last night i had not started this sermon i had i had written on my page the climax of abraham's life <laughs> that was it <laughs> and as i was sweating away in bed and tossing and turning Nay nee, um, said to me, maybe God's trying to teach you something. And then she rolled over and went back to sleep. <laughs> <laughs> and of course he was. He was teaching me, as he teaches us many times, to let go, to let go of all the stupid ideas I had of my incompetence, and to hold on to him. The God he provides, the God who won't let us down. <clears throat> So this is the way we start out on the core, and this is the way we grow on the core. and now in this story we come and see Abraham, veteran of the core. So here, of course, Abraham's called again to let go. To let go of his son Isaac. And who could blame Abraham? Who could blame him? for holding on to this son. He'd already, last chapter, had to say goodbye to his his first son, to, to this lady Hagar, he had to send her off, him off into the wilderness. Isaac, who he waited years and years for and received against all human expectations. This young boy who... In whom all of Abraham's hopes for the future, all of, Abraham, all of God's promises to Abraham were contained in this, in this boy's life. Of course Abraham was holding on to him. But here God says to Abraham, you've got to let go of him. It's not him, it's me you need to hold on to. It's really easy to hold on to people in our lives. Maybe it's a child that you've waited so long for. Maybe it's a relationship you've waited so long for and you think to yourself, that relationship is going to solve all of my problems. Of course it won't, it can't. It's just a thin branch that you're holding on to that will one day break and that person who you're relying on, who you're putting your stakes so highly on, cannot take the weight of it. And so, like Abraham, we've got to let go of those things and hold on to God. How do you feel when your child fails you or your partner lets you down? Does your world fall apart? You need to let them go. To let them be them to you and let God be God to you. But let's look then at Abraham's response. To the call, veteran of the call as he is. God says to him, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the region of Moriah, sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains I will tell you about. Then, verse 3, early the next morning, Abraham got up and saddled his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering he set out for the place god had told him about and then we read as he gets to the mountain he's there poised knife in hand ready to slaughter isaac can i can't imagine how it would feel sometimes when god kind of unwraps our grip from the branch. It feels so painful, it feels like God himself is trying to kill us. There's a great um, story about the lady Elizabeth, Elizabeth Elliot, who many of you know had an extremely hard life in some ways. She said she saw a um, a shepherd dipping a sheep. I don't know why shepherds dip sheep, but that's what they do. And, and the sheep was kind of in the dip, and the shepherd was pushing his head down into the dip, And the sheep was coming up again, gasping for air. And he's pushing it down again. And the sheep was coming up, gasping for air. And she thought to herself, I know exactly what it's like to think that my shepherd's killing me. I know what it's like to think my shepherd's killing me. And so did Abraham, because that's what it would have felt like. Letting go can be hard. But of course, it's not just the letting go. That's a stupid thing to do. There's a dragon, remember, at the bottom of the pit. You don't just let go. You have to hold on to God. And look at Abraham in this story, clinging on with all his strength to God. He said in verse 5 to his servants, Stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship and then we will come back to you. And then it goes on. Verse 8 um, when, when Isaac asked Abraham, what about the sacrifice for the burnt offering? Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. Is this Abraham lying to Isaac? No, it's him holding on to God for his dear life. He's saying, I don't know what's going to happen, Isaac that God's going to sort something out. Literally, he is going to see to it. That word, will provide, can be translated to see to it. Abraham is holding on to God and the promises he made, which according to Abraham, still stand. And this is really important. Despite this astonishing command to Abraham to take his son and slaughter him, God's promise to Abraham that it is through Isaac that he will bless Abraham and through him his descendants will bless the world, that promise, according to Abraham, still stands. If God had said to Abraham, Abraham, I've changed my mind, I'm sorry, I'm not going to use Isaac anymore, you've got to go and slaughter him. Abraham could not have trusted God. But God didn't say that. He said, go, take your son, slaughter him. That's all. And although it makes the promise seem almost impossible, it's not impossible. And it is this fact that Abraham was banking on. In Hebrews, it interprets the passage for us when it says, By faith, when Abraham was tested, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He who had received the promises was about to sacrifice his one and only son, even though God had said to him, It is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. Then Abraham reasoned that God could raise the dead and figuratively speaking, he did receive Isaac back from the dead. Abraham trusted God. He believed in him. He held on to his promises. Even though he could not see how it was going to work out, he trusted God with the details and held on to the promises. And that is the sign of a veteran of the core. Oh, to be like that So that's Abraham, veteran of the call. But now, let's move on to our second question, perhaps the question that we feel more urgently. What kind of God would command someone to do this? Even even if God never intended, which he didn't, for Abraham to go through with the slaughter of Isaac, why did God test Abraham in this way? So we've already seen that God wants Abraham to let go of everything, We've seen that he wants him to hold on to him more tightly than ever before because he is the only one who will never let him down. Okay, you say, I got that. But why was Abraham commanded to slaughter Isaac? Even if it was just a test to Abraham, didn't, and Abraham didn't know that, and surely Abraham could have debated, demonstrated his devotion in another way, just like he sent off Ishmael, could not he have sent off Isaac into the desert? Why did he have to kill him? And did you notice the story in some ways, if read just as an act of devotion, it doesn't really make sense, does it? Look at the conclusion. The climax of the story is when the bull appears and Abraham says, this is the mountain which the Lord will provide. That's the conclusion. The Lord provides But that's not the issue is it abraham wasn't slaughtering isaac because he was short of sheep can you imagine that isaac says to abraham where's the sheep for the sacrifice abraham says to isaac sorry we're a bit short of sheep at the moment it's going to have to be you but hopefully god will provide that that's not what the story is about it's not in that way about provision if it was just a test of obedience, the conclusion of the story should be I was willing to sacrifice my son, but I didn't have to in the end. But because I was willing, that's the main thing. That's what the message from the mountain should be. Abraham's obedience. But it's not. It's God's provision. A death still had to take place. A ram still had to die. Something more is going on here. Sacrifice is, of course, an act of obedience and faith and devotion. But it's not the main thing about sacrifice. The main thing about sacrifice is about atonement, about making bad stuff right again. Let me try to explain. We think we have a right to life. But we don't. Every breath we take in God's world, every day we see the sunrise, it's because of God's grace and his mercy. We don't deserve life. The Bible says we deserve death. The Bible's diagnosis of the human condition is desperate. Jeremiah describes the heart as being deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. And he's not just describing his heart or the heart of someone he knows. He's describing every human heart. He's describing my heart and your heart and Abraham's heart. Deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. If you think of yourself as a good person, you can't think of yourself as a bad person. I'm not really sure what to suggest apart from maybe getting married and... Asking your wife a few years down the line what she thinks. That helped me. (laughs) But even that's not enough, really. Because you only start to realise how dark and black your heart is when you start to get to know God. When you draw closer to God, draw closer to the light and see his goodness, only then do you see how desperate you are. And Abraham knew God. He knew how black his heart was. And he knew that when God called him to sacrifice Isaac, what he is being called to do is to make is to pay the debt to death that he owes. That's what Abraham knew. Abraham why Isaac? Because Isaac to Abraham was everything. Isaac was all of Abraham's life. Remember, this is a story about Abraham. It's not so much a story about Isaac. Abraham had to sacrifice Isaac because Isaac was everything to Abraham. All of God's promises to Abraham was tied up in this, in him. Abraham's past was made sense through Isaac. Abraham's joy in the presence was found in Isaac. Abraham's hope in the future was to be found in Isaac. When God asked Abraham to sacrifice Isaac, he was asking Abraham to pay everything he had. One commentator called Gerhard von Rod, which is, sorry, Gerhard von Rad, which is a, undoubtedly a brilliant name, he said, This is for Abraham God forsakenness. This is God saying to Abraham, It's over. You've got to pay your price. The time has come. And yet, of course, Abraham knew the promise. And so when he said to Isaac on the road to the mountain, God will provide, this is what he's talking about. God will provide to atone for my sin. And somehow, I don't know how, but he will keep his promise to me and to the world to bless us. God will provide. And that's what we see, isn't it? As we read, Abraham reached out to, sl- to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he replied, He calls it the Lord will provide. Not the Lord has provided. Not even the Lord provides, but the Lord will provide. For Abraham, the question has not been resolved. The ram for his son, his only son, the son he loves, is that it? Is that all it takes? No, Abraham recognised that the ram was just a pointer to something else that God was going to do, another provision of God. And on that mountain, the mountain which is now called, on the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. A few millennia later, the temple was built. And there, the Jewish nation brought their sacrifices to atone for their sin. But even that wasn't it. It was pointing beyond that to our Lord Jesus, who just a few um, hundred metres up the road from the temple was slaughtered on a mountain. And so we read in John 3.16, God so loved the world that he gave his son, his only son, the son he loved, so that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. Please know that God can be relied upon. Even when it feels like he's killing you, please know that you can trust him. Paul, in his book to the Romans, says, um, if God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his son, his only son, the son he loved, that gave him up. Well, what, how will he not also give us all things? And he concludes, in all these things we are more than conquerors, for I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor the power, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Our God will provide. We can know that. But we've got to hold on to him. We've got to let go of whatever fake God we're holding on to and hold on to him. John continues, God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. But whoever does not believe stands condemned already because he has not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but men love darkness instead of the light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into it. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly That what he has done has been done through God. Come into the light. Let go of the branch that you're holding on to, the branch that will fail you, and hold on to the God who will never fail you. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you and praise you that you are the God who provided, the God who met us in our deepest need, who loved us so much that you gave your Son, your only Son, the Son you loved, to take our place, the Son you loved who perished so that we did not have to. Lord, we pray that we would let go of all the branches we're holding on to and hold on to you instead. Show us in our lives where we're still clasping onto branches. Help us to let go and hold on to you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.